It's time to get started. Our first song will be number 67, 67 before our scripture reading. There's within my heart a melody, Jesus whispers sweet and low. Fear not, I am with thee, peace be still, in all of life's ebb and flow. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Soon he's coming back to welcome me, far beyond the starry sky. I shall wing my flight to worlds unknown. I shall live with him on high. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Good evening. Scripture reading tonight comes from Matthew 5, and I will be reading verses 19 and 20 from the ESV version. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of, these, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Psalm before our opening prayer, 311, 311. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, no other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness fills his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, no other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand.
Bow with me, please. Father, we want to come to you this evening to thank you for the day you've blessed us with, this first day of the week, Father, that we set aside to come here and study and worship you and sing songs and praises to you. Father, we thank you so much for that privilege, and Father, we pray that everything that we have said and done here today has been in accordance with your will. Father, there are always ones on our hearts and minds and that are battling illnesses or upcoming surgeries or recuperating from surgeries or the many troubles of life and the many things of life that we go through, Father. We know that you know how to provide for them better than we know how to ask, but we still should ask, Father. You, you ask for us to pray to you, so we will. And Father, as we go into this lesson, we pray that Brother Tom has a ready recollection of what he's about to say and that we will have open hearts to be able to take it in and strengthen us to the, to the world around about us as we go into this work week, that everyone will know that we wear the name Christian with pride and we're not going to hold back. We're going to go out there and show your love to the world. Father, most of all, we thank you for your son and that sacrifice was made, was made for us. and The ability that it gives us to be able to come to you and ask for our sins to be wiped away and that you love us and you give us that 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 avenue through him, and it is through his name that we pray. Amen. If you'd like to mark your songbook, the song invitation to be 590-590, and before our lesson, we'll sing number six. Number six. If, if you wouldn't mind, would you please stand? Number six. Holy, holy, holy
How's everybody doing tonight? Doing well? Good to see you. Thank you for coming here. It's good to see your smiling faces. And I wanted to start a new lesson series on Sunday night. And uh, I don't know, I, I just decided I'd start doing the Daily Bible. Eflagard Smith, anybody doing the Daily Bible? It's a, it's a, I switch back and forth between the, the Yearly Bible and Daily Bible, but one thing about Eflagard I really enjoy it is chronological, which means you have to endure some tough chapters in the first of the Bible, you know, where you get into skin diseases and spots on people's heads, and, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. but I get through that. The genealogies are kind of tough. But what I like about F. Lagarde in the Daily Bible, he gives some really good commentaries in the grace sections of those, if you're familiar with the Daily Bible by F. Lagarde. And I've been reading and just recently finished a section on Noah, and I thought, you know, that'd make a good lesson. And I understand while I was gone, Bobby, Bobby Ogg spoke and talked about Noah. So I wanted to bring three lessons on Noah's choice. And I've never heard this kind of lesson before about the choices that Noah made, but I think it's sermon-worthy, and I hope you'll enjoy this lesson series. Please come to me if you have anything you'd like to add in this series on Noah. If you, if you really, really want, we can extend it. But the first thing I did is showed a picture of the ark. We don't really know exactly how it looked, but you can get a perspective. You can see the little giraffe up there on the top, and there's also an elephant. That's a big, big boat. And I've heard people say it was like a giant shoebox, basically the perfect size, the perfect ratio for stability in rough waters, which I thought was interesting. Even the Navy, by the way, follows those same proportions today. Isn't that amazing that God told Noah a few hundred years into the existence of the world how to build a boat, and the Navy's like, I like those dimensions. They work. So uh, it's a huge, huge ship. Now, this one, I think, is in Holland or, or uh, the Netherlands, uh, but it's an actual floating ship. Uh, the one in Kentucky, if you've ever been to Ark Encounter, is pretty amazing, and I would recommend if you haven't been, go to that, uh, pair that up with a trip to the Creation Museum. But it is a fascinating, fascinating vessel to walk through, and I appreciate uh, the result of Noah's faith. So Noah's choice. Uh, let's turn to Genesis. We're going to be spending a few minutes tonight in, in the first part of Genesis and giving the account of the moral decline uh, back in the, in the beginning of mankind. Kind of a sad commentary to read. But we see in Genesis 4.26, it says, uh, At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, that's an interesting phrase. I don't know if you've ever really studied that, but some little footnotes or commentaries will say that they begin to acknowledge God. They begin to proclaim his name. They begin to worship him. I think it probably implies there were some ritual acts of worship, which included sacrifice. We know Cain and Abel uh, offered sacrifices to the Lord. One was displeasing to God because of the nature of how it was offered. But People worshipped. People were aware of God. Uh, This was fairly um, common knowledge because the world was growing in population, but it was still pretty new. So as I continued to read on Ephgard's daily Bible and his little gray commentary sections, one thing he pointed out that had never really 
hit me was at this at this time in the early development of mankind in the in the days just prior to Noah you really have two categories of people so think about this it makes sense you have uh, one group called the Sethites all right so Noah shows up uh, basically there's ten generations and so in this in this initial population of mankind, you have the Sethites. Now, you may recall Seth was the third child, right, of Adam and Eve. There were two brothers. One killed the other. The other brother that killed his brother was Cain, and Cain was, there was a mark placed upon Cain. We don't know exactly what it looked like, maybe on his forehead, a birthmark or a red mark or something, but he he almost showed this disregard for God when God said, first of all, I'm going to spare your life. He didn't thank the Lord. He said, this is too much for me to bear. I, you know, he was ungrateful. God protected him, which I thought was very merciful. And then he sent him out as a wanderer and a sojourner who, who basically um, wandered. So of, think of these two categories, these two groups of people. You have one fairly righteous group, the Sethites, people who tended to fear the Lord. Uh, they were more righteous. They worshipped and obeyed God. Uh, and, and so I want you to think about the phrase sons of God. I think the Sethites were the ones that are referred to as the sons of God, those who were more righteous. All right? Hope you're following me. Hope this makes sense. It, it'll tie back into our lesson shortly. From the Sethites descended both Enoch. Do you all remember who Enoch was? He walked with God. He, he was transliterated. Literally, he didn't die. They're just, he's walking along, talking to God, and God says, let's just keep going. And he took Enoch home with him. He was a righteous and godly man, and also Noah. So we see people who fear the Lord, who are obedient to God. They, they resist the temptation to follow idols and, and moral decay. And then you have the Canaanites. Oh, a whole different group of people. They're very worldly. They're wanderers. They're immoral. They're violent. And, uh, and if you ever like to read the Daily Bible, I would just reference page 11. He has a good commentary on the Sethites and the Canaanites. So think about this as we introduce this topic of Noah. Noah, descendant of the Sethites, tends to be more wholesome. Now, let's continue uh, in this idea of the Sethites and the Canaanites and look at chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. I'm going to flip over to chapter 6. All right. Here we go. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God. All right, let me stop. According to my theory, the sons of God are the Sethites those who were more godly and more moral in their obedience, right? The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. What does that mean? There's a good chance that the Sethites looked over and saw the other classification of people, the Canaanites, and they said, oh, guys could relate to this. They're pretty good looking. They're beautiful. I think I'm going to snag one of those women and marry her, right? Well, what's wrong with that? They were immoral. They were Canaanites. 
They were violent, wandering, worldly people. And so the Sethites basically at this moment began to corrupt themselves by intermarrying with the Canaanites. Does that make sense? Go like this if you agree or you understand what I'm... Okay, because y'all are looking at me like, he's got three heads. Who is this man? Right? All right, the Sethites, the Canaanites, we see intermarrying. What happens? There's moral decline, moral corruption, and a spiral of decay. There's a whole lot of interesting theories about what that passage means, and I don't even want to go there about extraterrestrials, all right, or angelic beings who've fallen. I think that's a very plausible explanation. So they took as their wives any they chose. They said, then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Then there's this ancient group called the Nephilim. They were on earth in those days. Uh, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, they bore children to them. They were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Ephlegard basically says these are just renowned warriors who are excellent hunters. They're powerful men. They're fast runners. Uh, they become legendary. But here's the problem. Moral depravity. They're just immoral. We see a rapid decline of the moral of the people and those who called upon the Lord. There's fewer and fewer and fewer of them. But yet, here's Noah. Ten generations later, and we see um, Genesis 6, 5 through 8. Let's continue. The Lord saw... The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In other words, it's a never-ending cycle of evil behavior, evil thoughts, lusting, and depravity. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and grieved him to his heart. That's, that's a really poignant statement, that God is grieved in his heart. Now, we know that God literally doesn't have a physical heart that beats with flesh. But our Heavenly Father is grieved and saddened, perhaps this idea of a God weeping over his children who are now sinful. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Have you ever wondered just philosophically, well, Lord, if you knew that they were going to mess up and you gave them free will, then why did you make them that way and why did it make you sad? It, it's all part of God's wonderful, wise, divine, incredibly thought-provoking creation, right? He knew this before he made us, that we were going to mess up, right? He knew that we were going to sin. He knew that it would cost him his own son to die on the cross for us before he made us, but yet he made us anyway, and it made him sad to see the quick depravity of these fleshly beings who had free will. But here we are. Now, verses 9 through 10, there's a little good news. These are the generations of Noah. Noah is a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, same uh, attribute as Enoch. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth. Behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And then he commands him in verse 14 to make the ark. Now we're going to get into that next week. But what I want to do 
is I want to start talking about um, Noah's choices, because these are important. Noah's choices. So, in just a little summary here, I have approximately 1,656 years, if you look at the chronological timelines, uh, after the first man, God sees a moral decline. It's hopeless. He says, I'm going to destroy them. Noah chooses to be righteous, and he walked with God. He was a righteous man. So, I want to talk about choices tonight. Noah chooses to be righteous. Noah walks with God. Now, I thought about the um, entrance uh, of the chosen, and I have a, a little Perhaps y'all have seen that if you watch the Chosen series. These are fish that are swimming in a circle. In the beginning of this introduction um, to, the, to the show itself, you see all gray fish swimming in the same direction, right? And then one by one, slowly, you have a few fish that turn around, and they begin to swim the other direction, and they turn teal. Miss Meg really likes the teal color. She thought that was cool. Now, I think we have somebody tonight, and I'm not going to point anybody out, but they're wearing the chosen shirt with this very logo on it. Everybody's looking around like, who is that? I'm not going to say, but that is actually here in our midst tonight, and I just think that's such an interesting metaphor and analogy of what it represents for us in our Christian walk, because I feel like, I can't speak for anyone else, but... As I start watching the news and watch mankind, and I see the depravity, and Stacy brought kind of a sad, depressing lesson this morning. It was an excellent lesson, but it was so true of the depravity of mankind. Amen? And I mean, that these things are happening in our society, and I can't go into all the details because we have younger people here, but talk to Stacy about it. But I just see a lot of fish swimming in the same direction. And very few with the brave bravery of turning around and going the opposite direction, right? Of standing up and saying, no, I will not swim with the fish down this current. I'm going to turn around and go upstream. I'm going to change the direction. I'm going to go with God, right? One fish had to turn around and turn teal, and then another and another and another. Now, the person wearing the shirt told me tonight... If you count, there's 12 of those teal fish. Hmm, I wonder what that stands for. Interesting, interesting. I wanted to read something that I found interesting, that this was written by a, a loyal follower of Christ who's a fan of the show. But they said the first season, done in 2019, of Chosen was financed by over 15,000 people. This was from around the world. They raised over $10 million. It shattered an all-time media crowd funding record. Now, she's talking about the logo. So if you'll go back to the logo and just stay there on slide nine, I'm going to read this. So just stay there, if you would. You start seeing one, then two, and then more fish turning around and choosing to go another direction against the current. I believe this metaphor is we, God's children, are going against the current. We are fish traveling through life in the same direction, but then there are those of us who are called by God. Once these fish understand their calling and choose to follow Christ, our Lord, then these fish quickly turn around and change color to an aqua green. 
They are choosing to go the opposite way or against the current of the other fish who choose things of this world and not seeking the kingdom first. I want you to be teal fish, right? Church, be different. Be different. Go against the current. Stand up, make a difference, and don't be ashamed of Jesus. Turn around and go against the current. This is what Noah did. Noah made a choice to be different. Noah was the one that came home and said, Honey, I have some news. I talked to God today. Really? What did he tell you? Build a boat. It's going to take a while. Build a boat? How big? Um, Pretty big. We're going to put a lot of animals on it. Now, I don't don't know if his wife slept much that night, right? What if your wife, what if your husband came home, ladies, and said, we're going to build a huge boat. We're going to put lots of animals on it. God told me to do this. That's what I call being different. And I want you to think about for the next hundred so years, building this huge boat, how people must have ridiculed, mocked, and laughed at Noah and pointed fingers at him. Hey, crazy man! What you doing? What's that called? A what? What's it for? What you putting in it? Noah. How they must have ridiculed and laughed at Noah as he made a choice to follow God. So my question tonight in our remaining time is simply this. What makes a person righteous? When God looks down and observes our lives, does he see righteousness? Are we like a modern day Noah? Are we? Are we unique? Have we turned around and started swimming the other way, upstream? Now, Noah read for us Matthew five nineteen through 20, this Noah. Whoever does what God commands and teaches those, those commands that he gives us will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds... I'm going to say that again. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let that sink in. These are the religious experts in Jesus' day. Nobody knows the scriptures better than them. They're authorities. They, they live in the place you know, where all the smart people live that know the Bible, right? The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Yet Jesus is standing here saying, you've got to be more righteous than these guys because they're not going to make it. Just like the people who lived in the days of Noah that were evil and corrupt and wicked, they didn't make it. So we need to get this right, church. We need to understand what does it mean to be righteous because we've got to be better than those guys who thought, they were righteous. They thought they were the experts. They thought they had done everything they needed to do to get that checkoff list complete for heaven. So let me just suggest for a few moments how to be righteous. Not in our eyes, but in God's eyes. Here's one. How about being humble? Be humble. Begin to put ourselves in a lower position of status. And begin to put others in a more high status. 
to begin to serve. I'm always impressed when I see leaders in the church who serve and do something humble behind the scenes because that says, yep, they've got their ego in check. They're here to set an example, and they're not too good, right? They roll up their sleeves. They get involved. They say things and do things that show that they put others ahead of themselves. And that's really the kind of godly servant God wants that makes us righteous. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, the Bible says, and he, God, will lift you up. Pride goeth before the fall. So those who are humble, the poor in spirit, those who have a a little bit were the ones chosen by God to change the world. It wasn't the experts. It wasn't the most educated, the ones with the most status that changed the world. It was the humble people. Be humble. So if you have an issue with pride or you like to tell others about your accomplishments, if you'd like to be a person of status, let me just suggest that to be righteous in God's eyes, humble yourself. Bottom line, be like Jesus, who humbled himself even to the point of dying on a cross. Number two, what makes a person righteous? And I think Noah did this. He dedicated himself to be obedient. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the fact that Noah didn't just say, well, here's the plan. Here's what God told me to do. We need to talk about it. He started gathering tools. He started cutting lumber. He started doing the things that were necessary to obey God, even though it cost him, even though people laughed at him and ridiculed him. He said, I will be obedient to God, even if it's an inconvenient command. So there we are. You want to be righteous? You want to make a choice to be godly? Be humble, be obedient. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. You're going to do what I ask you to do. Number two, or number three, rather, if you want to be a righteous person like Noah, put on the nature of the one you follow. Imitate God, imitate Christ, study him, learn his character, learn his attributes. The next one that I think is applicable is to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. When I talk to you on good days or I talk to you on bad days or I catch you in a moment maybe where you're having a disagreement with a neighbor or a coworker who's being really mean-spirited to you, how do you respond? Do you demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit? Is the Spirit working and transforming you from the inside out? You see, being righteous isn't the person who necessarily comes to church every service. Being righteous is the person who shows God in their life. Who's patient and who's kind and forbearing with people that are hard to love. Who's quick to forgive and be merciful. Who humbly admits they're flawed and they have things they need to work on themselves but they give praise to God and thank God for putting the Spirit in them. So study the fruits of the Spirit, please. Make a list, read it, and ask yourself, how am I doing? Am I righteous based on my compliance with the fruits of the Spirit? Or is there an area where I'm kind of weak? I need some improvement. 
And I think if you're truthful, if you're honest with yourself, you'll find there's one or two you need to work on. I know that's true for me. So I want you to think about Noah and his choice to follow God and how that was such a stark contrast between Noah and and his neighbors. I mean, here they are partying and sleeping with neighbors and, you know, I I don't know what they did, but it was corrupt and immoral and just fleshly, and, and God wasn't worth anymore, rarely, except at Noah's house. Be different, and don't be ashamed that you're different, because you're a child of the King. And we're going to talk in the next week or two about the benefits of being different, being righteous, being holy. Don't just talk about it. Don't just go through the motions. Don't put on a show, but truly commit to be different. Noah was different. He put a target right there on the, on his back because he chose to be godly. The Bible tells us that Noah found favor before God because of his righteous choices. God is observing the children who please him And he blesses them. How unique to see someone who chooses to put to be pure in an impure world. And again, this goes back to the to the idea of the chosen. I I love the way the director of this of this show presents all the different characters. And and I want to give you a quick uh, remembrance from Mary Magdalene. You remember Mary Magdalene, one of the earliest characters introduced in this show. And Nicodemus comes to her. He's astounded that she was a demon-possessed woman who was living a tormented life. Recall Mary Magdala? Uh, Possessed by multiple demons. But yet Nicodemus, an expert in the law, comes to her and says, What happened? I mean, who is this man who, who performed this miracle? And she says, I can't explain that. I don't know the answer. But I can tell you this. And I'll always remember what she said. I was a certain way before Jesus, and then Jesus came, and now I'm different. And that's all I can tell you. Let that sink in. If you commit to follow Jesus and to be pure and holy and righteous before God, you're going to be different. You will not be the same. I promise It will radically transform your life. And we are living in an impure world now that's getting more corrupt as each year goes by. I want to uh, kind of bring our lesson toward a close, but I want you to think about Lot. Now, Lot didn't always make a great choice. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure Lot thought about where he was moving to and the spiritual condition of that area around Sodom and Gomorrah. But yet, I want to go to Peter, if you'll turn to 2 Peter chapter 2 and read what Peter has to say about Lot. 2 Peter 2, we're going to read 5 through 10. I appreciate you all opening those Bibles and looking. Talking about the Lord... um, carrying out his vengeance and punishing evil, he says in verse 5 of 2 Peter 2, If he, the Lord, did not spare the ancient world but preserve Noah, a herald of righteousness, 
with seven others. And we're going to come back to that phrase in just a moment. What is a herald of righteousness? When he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if, or six, by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, if he rescued righteous Lot, here's what I want to point out here, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. How do you feel about that? Do you feel distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked in society today? Does it bother you? Are you worried? Does it pain your heart to see the depravity? There's good. There's a lot of good out there. But Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'm wondering about America. Am I in Sodom and Gomorrah today? I know, and I can speak for myself, I'm distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. Verse 8, For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. This is what Peter had to say about Lot. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. You see, God had a plan all along when he talked to righteous Noah. He don't know what to do. He told him what to do to be saved. Noah obeyed, and so he was willing to step up and do what he needed to do to save himself and his family. And so my challenge to you tonight is we're out of time, and that is to be like Noah and then choose to be a herald of righteousness. Be a herald of righteousness. Don't be ashamed to let your light shine. On slide 24, I have a, a little candle that I'm listing here. And as you look at that blank slide and see all the darkness around it, you're focusing your eyes on that flame. It's just a small candle flame. But I want to make a point, and that is, as the world grows darker, the lights of Jesus shine brighter. In a pitch black room, if you light one candle, all eyes turn to it. I want you to let your light shine for Jesus. Be a righteous person and don't be ashamed. Shine for Jesus. Choose to be like Noah and be a herald of righteousness. As the room gets darker, the small flicker of a candle, it does make a difference. Next Sunday, I'll be talking about Noah's difficult task of building an ark and preaching to the people. We're going to talk about a series of choices that Noah made that resulted in his salvation. His obedience resulted in him being righteous. Hope you've enjoyed the lesson tonight. I think it brings in some interesting points and challenges us in a society that's growing more evil today. If we need to uh, encourage you in some way, or if you need prayers, we always offer an invitation. We're going to be singing an invitation song. We invite you to come. Think about Noah. Be like Noah. Be righteous. Let's stand and sing.
supper be served straight back you can make your way now our song before our closing prayer be 720 720 Let us pray. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gifts that you've given to us. Dear Lord, we feel distressed as the atmosphere of the world starts to change. The goodness that we'd always recognized in our government has slid away. Lord, open our eyes into the goodness around us, the people that you want us to bring forth and allow us to represent you and make the light grow with each soul that we add to our commitment. We ask that you be with the sick of the congregation and we ask that you stand with them, keep them firm and bring them back to health. We ask that as we're approached by the fellow men in the world that we confess you before men because as you've written, if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my Father. And we're asking you to give us the strength and the courage to do this. We're asking you to take the evil from around our home and our families 
and allow us to push out and defeat these drugs that are coming into America. Most of all, allow us to give a bit of hope to those that are suffering and those that are sinking into the pit that we can bring them forth and bring them out as when you come to the earth, we can call them with us, our family, our friends, those that we're afraid to approach and talk to. Give us the courage. Give us the strength to at least let them know there's a spark that we can give to them. And dear Lord, as we go forth into the world tonight, take us home safely and allow us to proceed our jobs and to have a a great attitude that we can set an example for our families, for our loved ones, and for those who don't even know us. This we ask in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen.